Welcome to The Middle, an exploration into the organisational layer that has the biggest impact on overall performance. How can executives justify the existence of middle management if all they are is intermediaries between themselves and those at the sharp end of company processes? Conversely, if middle managers are key enablers to attaining organisational purpose, then are there distinct phases of development and how should they be supported during the transitions between them? In this podcast series, Stephen Wilson from Birmingham City University discusses the issues with executives from both the private and public sectors. For alerts of the next programme, don't forget to click the follow button. I'm Stephen Wilson, and in this programme I'm going to draw on 20 executive interviews from the last year to explore the progression of middle management roles, starting with a suggested framework from Nigel Riegler. Very simplistically, I usually say there are sort of three sort of managerial roles. Nigel is the Director of Commissioning Communities and Infrastructure at Gloucestershire County Council. One is a technician-type role where the answer is yes, no, very rules-driven and procedural-driven. Then there are managers, middle managers, who are probably problem-solving, but they're problem-solving within, you know, within the norms of the organisation. And I think there are leaders, and I think leaders deal in dilemmas, and very often that's, that's dilemmas about the entire system. So I'm going to make a decision in one part of the system that is going to have significant impacts elsewhere. Pursuing this three-tier model further... I asked Jason Smith, the Managing Director of Artex, how people typically get onto this first level. You do, I think you do naturally gravitate um, into these first steps of management positions through your ability or your capability in the role. The persistence of focus on their own performance is perfectly understandable. It has served them well. And this underpins their reaction to interruptions and distractions, as illuminated by Anna Slocum from Career Roads. You know, the uh, first-line manager who is very new in their jobs uh, very often feel that spending time with their people is just, you know, a waste of time because they are still interested in tackle the issues, the job, the uh, uh, meet the customers and do the projects. But getting the job done in the department soon becomes dependent on gaining the cooperation and coordination of other functions, Functions with whom the young manager may have hitherto had little contact. Network building becomes a crucial part of the role. Nobody's going to think anything worse of you for wandering around saying, can you point me in the direction of so-and-so? Um, you, you naturally start to venture into, um, into networking um, and developing your own, your own group of wider um, colleagues. What the boss's job looked like from a subordinate's point of view is beginning to dawn on the new manager as being quite different when you're in the role. Your role is more like a coach, your role is more like a connector, your role is more like someone who is networking in the organisation, you know, uh, uh, having the knowledge uh, to uh, bring uh, the insights from different departments to the operational area that you are managing on. Developing to engage more comprehensively with the role involves shifts on a number of levels. Here Anna draws on a model from the book The Leadership Pipeline 
by Sharon Dotter and Noel. What uh, this model uh, points out that skills is not everything and probably the easiest thing to develop. What should happen, not necessarily happening, is that the transition should be taking place in the time that people allocate to certain activities and in their values. Adopting new priorities and adjusting values is uncomfortable and takes time with lots of opportunities for falling back on old ways. The first and indispensable step is to become aware of your current stance and that can be accelerated through the influence of others. We do have a number of those middle managers where they've kind of come through the charity. This is Sarah Murphy, Associate Director at the charity Rethink Mental Illness. So they've perhaps started off on that frontline role, so they've still got that big drive within them to really be focused on the client. So for them to take sort of the leap to manager and then perhaps the leap to, to head, um, it's, it's definitely a steep learning curve, I think, between those two roles, between... Not, not being selfish, really, and, and just focusing on your own uh, function. Connecting within a network is clearly a key capability. But as Nick Walkley, the Chief of Homes England, explains, developing compromises and making them work is a further step. How you turn what can be, if not an adversarial, then a bit of a zero-sum uh, conversation into something genuinely constructive. Just, I mean, it takes some getting used to. That's a bike you've not yet learned to ride. The changes we're examining are clearly operating on multiple levels. Not only are there the personal changes in priorities and values that Anna mentioned, but there are also changes in the participation in group dynamics, with the establishment of a give-and-take approach between colleagues. Being a manager is very different to being a technician. Um, being a leader is very different to being a, um, being a manager, and it's not linear. This non-linear characteristic suggests that the speed with which individuals move through each phase depends on a number of factors. Individual aptitude is one aspect, but other influences are likely to include the rate of change in the organisation and the overall risk exposure of their department. So what are the distinguishing aspects of making the transition to the leader level of mental manager? You go from being a contributor to the culture and the feedback elements of that to being the custodian. A further distinguishing feature at this level is the nature of the relationship with superiors, as we hear from Nigel. Particularly in hierarchical organisations, I think middle managers often see directors as somehow you know above them and they will give direction as opposed to a resource to be commissioned and a resource who is a you know a leader in an organization who has the opportunity um, to work on the system within which the middle manager is trying to to manage in addition to changes of engagement with the culture and relationship with superiors jason highlights a key change in what dominates his time along with that step change from my work or my time in work is all about is 100% about me and it's 100% about me having to deliver what's requested of me you 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 move through this environment to 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 a place where it's now 100% about other people the 
The three-stage framework proposed by Nigel appears to resonate with others and be further supported by their evidence, leading me to inquire about the challenges of making transitions between phases. Some people don't ever make that transition from technician to leader, nor do they need to, but each time you go from in, from one of those um, stages to the next, there is there's probably two or three years of being lost. Let's start with the trauma felt by managers newly appointed to their first managerial position. They still are torn because they dedicate their time probably to doing the doing, still, managing other people, still, and they don't see the value of all these various meetings that are not dedicated to their team or to their customers or to the job. So they feel intensely unhappy that they are uh, distracted uh, from the activities that they prefer to do. But adding to their frustration is a lack of understanding and probably capability to get the department to function smoothly. The manager is expected to create that environment and uphold um, a competitive but compelling and enjoying place to be, but haven't had that training and haven't got that understanding of of, of how that happens. And it doesn't, it doesn't just naturally occur when you put a number of different piece, people and personalities in the same room. Particularly for those whose promotional paths have been in a single function, it can be daunting to have to deal with others who have very different beliefs and priorities and may be on very different career paths from their own. When I meet with uh, new colleagues in the organisation, particularly those entering uh, that sort of second stage career as they move from managing a team and being part of a sort of divisional leadership up to the next layer, one of the things they comment on is the organisation has people working alongside them who they would usually expect to face across the table in a negotiation. Defending departmental boundaries is an important capability for middle managers. It protects individuals in the department from taking actions with unforeseen consequences and protects the organisation at large. But Sarah shows how middle managers also need to develop the complementary skill of collaborating with peers for best overall results. Depending on how experienced that middle manager is, it's it's a bit of a learning curve for them to actually say, you, sometimes you need to take one for the bigger team here. Um, and it's not all about just your division, your function. Um, you do need to lift your head up a little bit and, and try and look at the bigger picture. And, and that can be quite difficult, particularly for new managers. Building on this development theme, Jason shares an illuminating parallel with the mindset in a kid's football team. At no stage does an eight or nine-year-old sit back and say, you know, this team would be so much stronger if we had a really rock-solid defender or a slick midfielder. That's a kind of a maturity stage that we go through within middle management career development too. But as managers start developing new values, priorities and perspectives, they must abandon old ways. Letting go of familiar ways of thinking and reacting inevitably leads to feeling of being lost that Nigel referred to earlier and is reiterated here by Anna. People who are reporting to me are now managers. Uh, what is it that I'm going to do? This confusion very often 
is really harmful to people because they are struggling to find what is their purpose, what's their identity. This internal tension between the familiar but no longer appropriate and the uncertain, unclear demands of the role at the next level is an example of cognitive dissonance. Justin illustrates some alternative channels to verbalising these feelings to work them through. As you start to get to a point where there's coaching available, there's mentoring available, there's development programmes available, um, and whilst they might have been available in the early stages of your career too in certain organisations, I think what happens is you start to use them in advance of your next move to ready yourself for that move. While surfacing and addressing these issues about role, inevitably other issues will arise. What sort of a role am I best suited to? Is such a role available in the company? Am I in the right company? Or even industry? This may all be part of the adjustment process, but as Justin points out, this issue of fit is increasingly important. Because? Because being effective at the leader level of middle management depends on engagement with a wide range of facets of one's personality. Maybe the next move is the one where you need to, you want to find a role in a business that fits you more so than how you may have done it up until now, which is you've, you've found a business and then you try and mould yourself to fit it. So, three levels of middle management engagement, each one representing a step forward in range and scale of impact. Yet the transitions between them are typically extended and tortuous for the individual and represent underpower contributions to organisational effectiveness. So in the interests of maintaining a full development pipeline of future managers, it makes sense for executives to remain aware of these challenges. How do you give a level of humanity and empathy that says, I know you're lost? It's clear that Nigel is sensitive to the challenges in transitions but perhaps more significantly demonstrates the importance of organisational support for the development process. It's okay to be lost. You need to work it out and work your way through this. And when you do, you'll be a great manager or a great leader and you'll be able to move on and, and benefit the organisation. And I think that's uh, that's one of those things for, for me about those transition periods, um, how we help people and can really understand some of the things that those people in those transitions go through. How do we help them? How do we help continue to help them through that? The coaching element of helping people through transitions was raised earlier by Jason. And here Sarah walks us through this type of conversation. I think I'm often encouraging the, you know, oh, have you thought about bringing in so-and-so head? You know, have you chatted? Because, you know, they're the experts in this. Because I think that's the other thing that whether or not they just don't think about it or whether it's a pride issue about, well, I should be able to do all of this project or all of this thing on my own. Um, they don't always think. So it's kind of trying to remind them or at that project setup stage, get them to really think, well, who are your key stakeholders here and who do you need to get on board from the beginning? Let them know what's going on, that you might need some help from them a bit further down the line. Don't just spring it upon them because they've got their own uh, workload. But support for the manager in transition may also be required when efforts fail to find compromise with other functions or arrive at a consensual outcome. This just adds to the sort of frustration that Anna has talked about. 
Paul Anderson, a managing director at Deutsche Bank, describes such a situation. If somebody's sitting in a location, they have a functional manager, and that manager has a list of priorities that they think that individual should be focusing on, but they also have a local manager. And they have a set of priorities that they think the person should be working on. And those priorities might not always match. It's a classic binary outcome. Either the functional manager's task takes priority, or that of the local manager. It's where a supportive boss's contribution can be invaluable. How to get them to match is a good old-fashioned get on the phone or sit in a room and talk it through and see if you can find some sort of compromise where both people are comfortable that if, if their priority hasn't made the top of the list, at least they know why. Gaining insight into how such judgments are made, together with coaching and a supportive culture, can accelerate development. But sometimes it's appropriate to create progression roles in the organisational structure, as outlined by Simon Longbottom, the chief executive of the Stonegate Pub Company. It's quite a big jump from general manager to uh, multi-unit leader and a big jump from multi-unit leader to ops director. So we've tactically put in roles for development reasons to give colleagues a chance to learn um, the job without um, some of the, you know, pressure that, that, that goes with the number of sites or the amount of responsibility in the fully-fledged role. While there is this range of support methods available, the uncertainty of the rate of which such opportunities arise and each manager's individual aptitude mean that anticipating how far and how fast the manager will develop is precarious. Uh, one of the jobs of a leader is to understand uh, not just uh, the individuals within the middle cohort, but also something about their culture and career expectations and the extent to which they can absorb challenge and change and the pace at which they do it, because it is very different in different parts of the organisation. While a supportive culture, coaching and structural adjustments all address the issue of supporting the development of current middle managers, what about recruiting and onboarding new members of the management team? Should I select a candidate with direct relevant experience who will be quicker out of the blocks? Or is it fit with the way we work around here that should take precedent? You interview and you interview based on, you know, I, I've delivered these numbers and I've, and I've been great at this and I've done the other. Um, and then you get in and, and the organisation says, right, now we need to train this person to be, to, to fit the role that we've put them in. But remote working is impeding the building of rapport with peers, slowing the ability to ensure compliance with the system in one's team. We've had to think very carefully about a new manager coming in. How do we make them very quickly feel like one of the team and, and able to transact the business and lead their team by, by being able to translate the corporate system? In each case, there are clearly a number of influences on the importance of prior parallel experience, not least the regulatory and risk environment. But for Jason at least, experience has led to a change of emphasis. My, my own recruitment style has changed now in that I will recruit based on attributes and cultural fit. They have a far more stronger draw to me than uh, experience and knowledge in a particular role. Yet if familiarity with the systems in the organisation is vital for getting up to speed with running one's team promptly, 
Making the biggest contribution to organisational effectiveness often depends on the ability to apply judgment and negotiate with peers at its periphery. I think that's quite tough because you're asking somebody to come into the organisation and establish a relationship um, with their immediate team, um, but we're also having to find far more creative ways of, of creating the relationships with key individuals within the wider organisation. And the challenges for the newcomer in doing so should not be underestimated for reasons that Nick explains. Uh, we often have people in charge of similar sized teams with profoundly different backgrounds and responsibilities. Well, this ability to engage, explain and negotiate with different stakeholders with contrasting priorities is important for all middle managers. It's a key ongoing part of the role for those operating at leader level. Whilst the cultural challenge is to knit them together around a single mission and purpose, that's a constant job of knitting and re-knitting because instinctively and by training, those professions and their customer bases often pull in very different directions. That's all very well, you may say, but we're in an emerging industry growing very rapidly and some niceties may get overlooked. In the absence of framework yeah, or the description, uh, what do people do? They start creating their own environment or their own definition of what they're supposed to be doing. This is a pragmatic and constructive approach when the boss is too busy, often because the organisational design hasn't kept up with the pace of growth. But the taste for freedom and the usurping of power can raise issues for the future. Sometimes these middle managers become like little department inside the department so their uh, their own kingdom is this department of the expertise uh, very often in support function and something else which very often leads to internal conflicts while being part of a silo and only defending it may be individually advantageous it underscores a developmental failure as a middle manager whose overarching contribution should be to overall organizational performance as a as Many large organisations over the years have fought, have fought against and tried to dismantle silos so that they have a very clear corporate direction of, of travel, very clear corporate priorities, and you want the whole organisation um, in behind those silos. Doesn't help that. Um, does doesn't help that corporateness. When I started this exploration, I didn't expect that executives would be so aware, so concerned and spend so much time supporting the development of their middle managers and easing transitions between the different stages. But what comes through regardless of industry context is the executive understanding that middle managers are key enablers to the advancement of the purpose of their organisation. Which leaves media accusations of unnecessary layers of extra costs, delays and personal agendas as inaccurate, misleading and frankly damaging. The Middle was conceived and produced by Stephen Wilson. For notifications of future 